Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Galio Cast, your weekly feel-good podcast for this week. We talk about a bunch of stuff on Disney+, Plus. I eat a bunch of snacks, and some excellent game news dropped over this last weekend. That's right, this week we're going to talk about BlizzCon Online 2021. A lot of great news came out of that, and some shit I'm incredibly excited for, so we're going to talk about that later on. I got my latest box of snacks, so we're ex- going to eat some of those in a little bit. I'm fucking stoked for that. Uh, we talk about Inside Pixar, which is a documentary series um, over there on Disney+, Plus, and that was really good. We talk about the Cruella DeVille trailer and uh, my thoughts and feelings on that. We talk about the latest episode of WandaVision, and I start off this week's episode by talking about an HBO show called The Newsroom in a very long and tiring diatribe. And if you don't like that, fast forward about 20-ish minutes into the podcast, and then you'll uh, you'll skip right over it. Anyway, um... Before we get into that, if you like the Going Up Cast and want to support the Going Up Cast, please feel free to go to patreon.com forward slash going up cast where you can see the Pokemon Nuzlocke run and the movie commentary tracks. I'm working on more right now. It's been a busy ass couple of weeks, so I apologize for that. And the bonus content kind of takes a takes a you know more time to, to create, and so it's it's not as uh, easy to crank that stuff out. And so I need to get on that today. And that is my plan. I've just woken up, so I'm basically going to shower and eat breakfast and then get started on some some of that bonus stuff. So if you want to see all of that excellent bonus stuff, you're going to have to be a Patreon supporter. Uh, and go over to patreon.com forward slash goingupcast and become a Patreon supporter. And I very much appreciate that. Otherwise, feel free to swing on over to Facebook, uh, where you will find the ultimate place to be alerted to when new chapters land by going to facebook.com forward slash goingupcast. I post all of the new chapter links right then and right there as soon as they go up so if you want to know exactly when a new chapter drops you got to swing over to facebook it is not the exact same time of day very much depends on my mood and what i'm up to um but it will drop sometime during the hours of like six in the morning and midnight (laughs) pacific standard time i know that doesn't narrow it down but that is how it goes um yeah and you can also follow me on instagram at goingcast and on twitter at goingcast i use twitter probably the least of all of them um but instagram is where i drop all of my like cool pictures from my travels and stuff like that. Anyway, let's get into this episode of the Going Upcast. Building off of a diatribe, for lack of a better term, that I had for last week when it came to making a good story, um, I want to talk about a show I just spent the last four days powerhousing my way through from beginning to end. Um... And I want to talk about that show in relation to its closest best example, which is another show made by the same person that I, I briefly hinted at last week. And was actually, my my watching the newsroom created by Aaron Sorkin um, is what kickstarted my uh, desire to do the storytelling diatribe last week. And I've just finished watching the final episode of that show. It only ran for three seasons. I had 25 episodes. It's all on HBO Max. And the the first thing I noticed with, with this show is that it is the... While, while the character archetypes and the story structures are incredibly similar to The West Wing, which is a proven fact because the character archetypes are essentially the exact same in the newsroom as they are in The West Wing... Um, they're both politically driven. They are both um, uh, analysis pieces for the power of hindsight, I would say. 
Um, because it's easy to look back on a situation like um, the Boston Marathon bombing and how Reddit uh, accused an innocent individual of being one of the primary suspects of that and how uh, the news handled that uh, situation in real time versus in newsroom where you can design your characters to look at a situation like that realize the inherent wrongness of uh, the the mob mentality that was generated be- by social media in pursuing an innocent man and all that stuff it's easy to to, to look back on stuff like that and go hey that's wrong I'm going to make a bunch of characters that know that's wrong and then look at how fucking smart my characters are because you know they didn't they didn't do the thing that all these other people did they did the different thing they did the right thing and that's kind of what both of these shows are are like west wing came out like late 90s uh into like the mid aughts and all of the the fictional events real or completely fabricated for the events of west wing took place during the clinton administration which was the 90s and so West Wing occurred basically like a decade later, except for when something really big happened in terms of uh, the current climate where West Wing was being made, like in the beginning of season three when 9-11 happened. And they had a whole episode about that. Um, and, you know, that kind of changed the, the way a lot of those stories were told because it was recent and uh, impactful. Newsroom looks at the events of like the year before um when it was being made like uh i think one of the the first things they really talk about is um deep water horizon the the uh oil spill in the gulf of mexico and i i, I don't know the exact dates but it was very recent to where uh the newsroom begins and so those events of of like the current political um climate were a lot more recent with Newsroom than they were in the West Wing. In terms of quality of both of these shows, West Wing peaked in season one. In my opinion, there's no finer season of West Wing than the first season of West Wing, which is great news if you've never seen the West Wing, because there's seven seasons of that, I want to say. I think I think the way it works out is there's seven seasons of the West Wing, and there was an eighth season after that. No, there were seven seasons of the West Wing. Six seasons of the West Wing. And then there was a seventh season that nobody really likes to talk about. So, um, they, they peaked in, the, in that first season of the West Wing. And they, they kind of nailed it right out the gate in terms of the type of uh, stories that Sorkin wanted to tell. And if you were to watch like a best of moments compilation of shit from the West Wing, like eight out of those 10 fucking moments are going to be from season one. You know, West Wing was really the the first show where Storkin was like, I'm going to have a show where every fucking character on the show is super goddamn smart. And look at this room full of smart people being smart people. That's kind of the whole fucking point of the show. Newsroom does the exact same thing where it's like, Hey, I've got a whole fucking news staff made of really smart fucking people. And they're all going to be witty and snappy and have a lot of quick back and forths. Because that's like how Sorkin likes to do his stories. Um, except it's opposite from the West Wing where the newsroom's best shit 
is in the first five minutes of the first episode, and then it kind of goes along on its merry way, and it's kind of okay, and some episodes are fine, and other episodes are man. There's a lot of B and C storylines that I couldn't give two fucking shits about, so it kind of meanders and wastes a lot of time. If you cut all the fucking moments of, like, characters just staring at each other dramatically like it's the end of an episode of Star Trek The Original Series, you would trim, like, fucking 30 minutes out of every episode. There's a lot of, like, unnecessary gravitas in the newsroom, and that bothered the hell out of me. And perhaps that led to the statement I'm about to say, which is the best season in the newsroom is the last season of the newsroom. And that might be because after a while, I did just start fast-forwarding through characters I couldn't give two shits about. I'm looking at you, Maggie. Looking at you. You never interest me as a character once. Not once. I didn't give, uh, I didn't care about your fucking romantic problems. I wasn't watching the newsroom for that fucking shit, so I skipped it. And there could be an argument to be made that because I skipped all the bad shit and watched only the good parts, that's why I like season three. But I don't think that's the case. Because season three of the newsroom had the more, in, like, the more interesting stories. It did. Like, season one is about making a solid news team and... Uh, it, like, each episode was, like, about a big event that actually happened, like, Deepwater Horizon or the death of Osama Bin Laden. Like, that's what season one was about. Season two was about this guy named Jerry Dantana who came up from the uh, Washington, D.C. office to the New York office to cover for another producer who was following, like, the Romney campaign during the 2012 presidential elections. And that guy comes up and he completely fabricates... Um, evidence to support the story about a, a, a fictional uh, black operation called uh, Operation Genoa, where, uh, according to his dumbass source, uh, they dropped sarin gas on civilians um, in the, I want to say the Middle East. That's what season two is about. It's all about this one dipshit pushing a story that isn't true. And then it's, it's, it's the whole season's basically told in media res. Um, which is a, a storytelling term that you've actually experienced a lot. If you've ever seen any piece of media where it starts, like, it just, like, drops you in the middle of the action, right? And, like, a bunch of bombs are going off or whatever the fuck, and the, then the fucking screen freeze frames, and you hear the narrator kick in, and he goes, Yeah, that's me. Bet you're wondering how I got here, huh? And then it fucking rewinds back, like, a week and a half. That's being told to you in media res. It specifically means you start your story towards the end of the story, and then everything that occurs up until that point is then presented after the fact in a flashback. So when a story is told in media res, that's kind of how it goes. Um, sometimes it can be done to great effect, but more often than not, it really just kind of takes the legs out underneath your fucking movie before it even begins because if you're doing like a fucking horror movie or something like that and you have the dumbass instinct to make your horror movie in media res where you basically spoiled that, hey, these people survive until about 75% in the movie, that it kind of removes all fucking tension with involving those people throughout the rest of the film because it's like you know they survived to the point you started the movie with so building off of last week's storytelling thing in media res is a useful tool and it was done to fairly good effect in season two 
where instead of it being like who lives and dies, like it would be in a horror movie, this one was more set up in them talking to the lawyer about all of the shit that they did wrong about Project Genoa. And so you know that shit goes south, but you're not entirely sure exactly what went wrong until like it happens in the flashback and then it brings you back to the present where they're talking to the lawyer and then you know it builds on from there and it's not the entire season it's just like the first like six episodes and then the last three episodes are post the media res that was presented in the first part of the fucking show it gets a little bit confusing with, with, with like the timelines and stuff like that um especially when it comes to like they make a really big deal about maggie's hair um, and they do explain what the fuck was up with Maggie's hair, but if you're not paying attention, then you can kind of get confused about what's happening when, especially when the show itself kind of gets that fucked up. Um, like there'll be bits where Maggie has come back from Africa, but her hair still hasn't changed. And so you're still like, wait, what the fuck's going on here? And then in season two, it has a, a bad habit of having a storyline live and die within a single episode that probably should have continued on for more because, hey, that's how it would have happened in real life. It's not something that just goes away in a fucking afternoon. Sloan Sabbath, who was played by Olivia Munn, um, at one point had uh, 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 nude images of herself leaked by a uh, asshole ex-boyfriend. And she she deals with that for the course of that episode and then it's never mentioned ever again and it was it was like a really big deal like she was wondering how she was ever going to be on tv again how all these fucking things blah blah blah. you know it's a very large problem and then they just dropped the storyline and moved on and you're just kind of like well then why the fuck was that ever even a thing if you're just gonna not whatever so yeah it had a bad habit of doing that but in season three and I wish, I wish you could just start with season three. And you probably could. I mean, these are not the most complex characters. If you've seen The West Wing or any fucking show ever, you know who these people are. Because they are using really popular character archetypes. So, hey, you know what? You probably could start with season three. And season three has the, the better storylines. It just does. Um... One of the, one of the characters, Neil, gets a uh, a, a leak to him from a whistleblower um, in the in the uh, the DoD. I want to say about a uh, company in Virginia that uh, instills uh, propaganda in developing nations in order to paint America in like a favorable light. I have no idea if any of that's true, but that's what the plot of the the show is. And one of their stories led to, like, a riot that killed 38 people, including three Americans. And so he gets 27,000, like, illegally obtained documents um, from this source in order to publish the story. And uh, un un uh, unintentionally, Neil uh, requests additional documents in order to uh, ascertain the validity of the 27,000 documents. And in doing so... Uh, committed a felony right and so the fbi gets involved and then a lot of shit happens but it's like really like engaging um it had, it had some moments that you know just make the hair stand on the back of your neck because it was just really good storytelling and it was compelling and i think the best part about season three is that it's able to tell 
fairly concise, usually interesting B and C plots. There's still a lot of nonsense with the romantic relationship of Maggie and what's whomever the fuck um, that I just continue to skip past. Um, but, it, it, you know, because I had fewer episodes to deal with, I think I was able to tell tighter, more coherent stories. Um, and unlike, you know, most shows that end on, like, a really good, solid note. If you want this show, Newsroom, to end on, like, the everybody's happy and the world is perfect kind of fucking note, stop watching after season two because that's what the season two finale is all about. Season three has the best storylines and it does the most interesting things that the show does. There's a bit where uh, Will has been in prison for, you know, 52 days or whatever because he wouldn't give up a source. And he's talking to his inmate, uh, bunkmate, I guess, um, who's just a fucking asshole. And he's talking to this dude. Um, and it's, it's a little bit spoilery, but I just wanted to talk about it because it's a really good, like, moment, um, because it, it turns out that, uh, Will was alone the entire time, and the person he was talking to, uh, was his, his dad. He was, he was basically hallucinating talking to his dad. So, there was, a that was a good moment. It was a good revelation. And I've just ruined it for you, so I'm sorry about that. But hey, you know what? If you do ever watch the show, by the time you get to that part, you probably will have forgotten what I just said. So, plus the show came out seven years ago, so I don't feel too bad about spoiling a very small part of it. I'm just going to tell you that it's really good. Um, and, and the season three ends pretty well. Um, I, I liked the finale, the very final episode. I thought that was fine. Um, it, it, it does a lot of flashbacking, which... I felt like it was one of the things that really bogged down West Wing, especially in those mid-seasons. Um, but that's about that's about it. And I think where Newsroom succeeded and West Wing failed is that people have a uh, capacity and a limit to how much they can take when it comes to smart people being smart and having that intelligence just fucking shoved down their throat. I'm not punishing intelligence because that should be praised and celebrated. But Newsroom and West Wing both can get into like holier than thou mentalities and it can sometimes feel like they're lecturing you. Even though I agree with both of these shows like ideologically um, in terms of like political standings and stuff like that. You, you know, it's like I if I if I wanted a lecture, I'd watch a lecture, you know what I mean? It's like one of those things. Um and Newsroom is sweet and short. 25 episodes. Sure, some of them don't need to be in there. If it's up to me, I wouldn't watch the second season. I just watched the first and the third. The second season is just a lot of blithering nonsense that doesn't particularly matter to the overall story that's being told and you really don't miss out on much by cutting out the second season. Um I feel like I feel like it it captures that that magic and then it just ends and it just and that's it and it's done. Um and West Wing I feel like kind of ran out of um stories that really showcases the characters as being really smart and doing stuff that makes them really smart um and really got into the territory of like kind of weird soap opera drama shit. Um, 
and it, it it feels like it jumps the shark pretty pretty quickly in West Wing, where it's like it goes from basically as soon as fucking Bartlett starts running for re-election is where, in my opinion, the whole thing just kind of like goes down. It's not bad. It's just not as good as it was in the in the early episodes, especially that season one. That season one, real fucking good. Real fucking good. That's a good season one. It's like a 20-minute diatribe about Newsroom and the West Wing. They're both good shows. They're both about smart people being smart. They're both about, like, kind of that kind of snarky, um, you're wrong and I'm going to prove you're wrong with facts. Um, and, I, like, the, the people around me will witness that you're dumb because look at how fucking smart I am. And they both deal with um, current-ish, actual-ish events um, seen through the, the beautiful lens of hindsight that allows the characters to be on the right side of every issue. Which is just kind of a utopian way of telling your story. So, yeah. It, they're, they're good. They are good. They're very formulaic. Aaron Sorkin knows exactly what kind of stories he wants to tell and how he wants them told. And he's done this time and time and time and time and time and time again. You can look at everything Storkin has ever created. Um, and you haven't seen The West Wing or The Newsroom. You may have seen a movie called The Social Experiment, which was about the air quotes founding of Facebook. That was Aaron Sorkin too. And if there was ever a movie that epitomized air quotes smart people being smart, fucking it's that one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he he's he has a very particular way of telling his stories, and most of the time those stories are entertaining. And I like watching those stories. Um, and, yeah, just, there, there, you, there you go. Now I'm just kind of going, I'm just, I've, I've lost the thread of it a little bit. But I've said all the things that I've wanted to say about that show, and now I need to find a new show to watch. Um, it's not like I don't have a fucking list. It was just, it was just nice to be able to kind of sink into a show after a really long time. You know what I mean? I mean, that's why I watched it so quickly. Cause I was just, I wanted to, I wanted to finish it. I wanted to keep going and see what happened and where it went. And now I know, and I'm happy with what happened and where it went. And now I'm going to take a shower and go to bed because I'm very sleepy boy. And we'll move on to the next thing in the podcast. Finally took the time to watch a uh, fairly recent documentary series on Disney Plus called Inside Pixar. And what that is, is a series of 10, roughly 10 minute uh, little micro documentaries about various people in the Pixar family. You've got writers and uh, assistant producers. You've got artists and facilities managers. You've got music directors and pastry chefs. Pretty much um, from every level of uh, an organization and some of the largest departments found within any organization are represented here. And what I appreciated about this uh, was not only the personal stories that you learn more about these people and their creative process, uh, but it also provides a greater insight on some of the most recent Pixar movies, particularly Onward and Soul are very well represented in these in these little documentaries. And it also serves as a, a really good, like, 
hey, you want to work at Pixar? Well, it's kind of like this for this particular uh, department, and you you get to see the inside. Uh, in the inside workings of one of the most prolific animation studios of all time. Um, I particularly loved the uh, peek into the building itself and the the working layouts. Um, there was a documentary a long time ago called like the Pixar Story uh, that really talked through the history of Pixar with like Lasseter and Steve Jobs and stuff like that. But the building itself was always one of those things that I really loved and that's what i always think about when i when it comes to pixar i'm like the the creative architecture of the individual rooms and the theming and stuff like that is really amazing and nobody does it quite like pixar and you do see glimpses of that throughout this little documentary series um but mostly in in the final episode when it focuses on patty uh bonfilio who is the director of facility operations and so during that, you see, like, the tour of uh, how people customize their offices and stuff like that. And I'm like, that's really cool. I really liked seeing that uh, in-depth look at uh, how Pixar keeps the wheels turning and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, it's fun. So if you like if you like documentary stuff like that, then Inside Pixar is pretty good. Um, and they just announced uh, today that a new uh, Marvel show is on the uh, on the way called Marvel Assembled. And that will release making of documentaries for every Marvel uh, thing that is coming out this year to start, I believe. So when uh, WandaVision ends the following week, we get the making of. And when Winter Soldier ends the following week, we get the making of. And so on and so forth. For everything that Marvel releases this year, the week after is the making of. And that's ambitious uh from my point of view like i i love that disney plus is cranking out these documentaries and these making ofs because they are some of the most interesting pieces of content on disney plus um it, it's like they have their own fucking department now when it comes to making this shit and it's uh it's pretty fun and i'm i'm really enjoying it and the fact that they're just making more makes me very excited and i remember reading a long time ago that one of the things they were going to work on is a uh, behind the attraction documentary series where it talks about the history of making different fucking rides and stuff like that in the Disney parks. And I'm so stoked for that. I can't wait for that to come out. Uh, but I will take documentary making ofs any, any way you slice it. I always love that shit. And Inside Pixar is a pretty good one. So give it a shot if you got Disney Plus. And if you don't, well, then let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. movie trailer landed today or when I'm recording this for a Cruella DeVille origin story movie well that's interesting um I always like Cruella DeVille because everybody seems to think she is this this great villain that did so much she probably has something in the neighborhood of four and a half to five minutes of screen time in the original 101 Dalmatians movie. And in that time, you learn a couple of things. One, she is the the mom of the dog. Like, the, the like you know, so there's the, there's the dude who owns Pongo. And then he starts dating What's-Her-Face, who owns the other one. Corella DeVille worked with What's-Her-Face. They were co-workers, right? 
and Cruella's a bit of a bitch. And then she tries and fails to make a coat out of puppy skin. That's about it. She wrecks her car. That's about it. And she does even less in the direct-to-DVD animated sequel, 102 Dalmatians, Patches London Adventure. She does even less there. So I don't understand why everybody is getting this, this idea of Cruella DeVille being this incredible villain. Maybe they're all thinking about the live-action one with the Glenn Close, which, if that's the case, then okay, I get it. Um, but the trailer just made the whole thing look like a knockoff Joker movie. Like, you, we, as viewers, really don't know much about Cruella DeVille, like, at fucking all. They're not a very interesting character. There's very little to go off of. So, creating an origin story for somebody that is essentially a blank slate, yet still somehow has this the notoriety of, of, you know, like, Disney fame is interesting. I wonder if we're ever going to, if when that movie comes out, if we're going to get people being like, well, that's not in keeping with Cruella's character. And then you got me turning around to that fucking nerd and me like, what fucking character? She has like no goddamn personality or does much of anything in any of the Dalmatian movies that are animated. I, I can't really speak for Glenn Close's performance. Um, but honest to God, there's just not a lot there. So... Am I gonna see it? I don't fuck. Maybe if it comes to Disney Plus, the trailer did very little to get me interested to see the movie. I'll be honest. Um, and as I have just explained, I know next to nothing about Cruella because there is next to nothing to know about Cruella. So I guess we'll fucking see. I have great faith in Emma Stone's acting abilities, though. I think she's phenomenal. She's been in a lot of great movies. Easy A is one of my fucking favorite like high school movies ever, and she fucking kills it in that. So. I'm confident it'll be... I'm confident her performance will be good. I can't be confident about anything else about that movie. Um, so, there you go. But that's the thing that happened. So, in case you were chomping at the bit for a Cruella the DeVille movie, well, your prayer has been answered, single individual who asked for this. Congratulations. Let's move on to the next thing of the podcast. And now it is time for us to discuss WandaVision Episode 7. Naturally, spoilers. Cool, you've been warned. Um, so, we've we've caught up to the present, uh, as far as I'm aware of the modern uh, layout of sitcoms. The whole mockumentary-style thing uh, has been pretty popular for a while. Looking at The Office. Sorry, I was too early. <sighs> Looking at Modern Family. That sort of stuff. And, of course, this has them talking to the camera. And uh, that is uh, an interesting thing to do, especially when the person behind the camera talks back to Wanda and Wanda gets, like, visibly confused. And, uh, yeah, so uh, Wanda's, you know, having a bit of a bit of a freak out. And she wanted a me day, so she sent her kids to go hang out with Aunt Agnes. Meanwhile, Vision uh, and Darcy are palling around and Vision got the, the rundown on what his life was like before Westview. Um, so that's good. And Darcy was pretty... Uh, pretty ineffective uh, in this episode. She didn't really do much. Which I suppose is fair. You can't, you can't always be like kind of cranking it out, you know what I mean? Um, so there's, there's that. 
Uh, gosh, what else? Um, fucking, uh, what's her face? Monica Rambo tried to break through the hex with a, uh, space rover. Uh, the space rover transformed into a pickup truck, or at least half a pickup truck. And so Rambo sprints through the hex, and it's a fairly cool sequence, and then she gets out on the other side and proved the internet correct, uh, in the fact that she now has mutant-based superpowers. Um, so that's a thing, and that's fun. Uh, I guess the internet was right on that one. And then to follow that up, the internet was also right in that Agnes is actually the villain the entire time. It was Ag- Agatha all along, as the as the song said. Um, and I liked that sequence, too. And I suppose if I wasn't, like, completely sleepy, bleary-eyed when I watched this episode, uh, Agatha laughing um, maniacally while she says, and I killed Sparky, too, might have might have been um, a little, whatchamajigger, a little spooky. But as it sits, I'm just kind of like, ah. So. Uh, like, yeah, so the internet. <sighs> Excuse me. Yeah, no, I got it right. Um, with Agatha being the bad person, and uh, what was the other thing? Uh, Monica Rambo turning into an X Men mutant known as Photon. Thus, all of the light based uh, vision things that she saw. So, there you go. Um, I thought the episode itself was fine. At this point, I, I'm like. I like the show, I really do, and I'm so excited to see how it ends, but I just kind of want it to end so I can see it. Like, at this point, each each episode, um, like, even though there's plot-important shit happening, like Agatha <sighs> being revealed to be a goddamn witch from apparently the long, long ago, and not like a witch of, uh, well, Wanda was created, right? She was experimented on with the with the Mind Stone and was made. Agatha looks to be like an old school witch from like medieval times, I would guess. Who probably gets her powers from a fucking book. Um, so if I if I have any sense on how shows like this go, the final two episodes are going to be finale part one and part two. Because that's usually how this goes. And one will lead into the other. Which means the ending for next week's episode is going to be remarkably depressing um, or sad because that's usually how it goes, right? You have the you have the the fall before the rise, and so before the the heroes can win, if that is even this type of show, they gotta lose first. They gotta they gotta lose first, and so I bet Agatha's gonna like fucking. I mean, Wanda's kids aren't real because. This this whole situation is is fucked up. So, but I bet Agatha's gonna kill her fucking kids like in front of her, and Wanda's going to lose it then. And Agatha's gonna go on this huge soapbox about why she wants Wanda to continue with the hex or whatever. Because Agatha's it was Agatha all along. So, as the song says, um, since last week, I've I've thought up of a couple of other uh, fucking uh, mythos theories. With Agatha's confirmation of being, like, an ancient witch, like, fucking Morgan Le Fay, who's also, shut up, Alarm, um, who's also a Marvel character, that would've been fun, except she's, she was in, uh, Run, Runaways, uh, which was a TV show, played by Elizabeth Hurley, of all people, she played Morgan Le Fay, um, 
with Agatha being come out of the closet as like an old school witch, if they can get the news out that Agatha is like a fucking witch, then I I can't see how Doctor Strange doesn't show up. You know what I mean? Like Sorcerer Supreme against like an an incredibly old and super powerful witch. Yeah, especially one that's strong enough to fuck with Wanda. Yeah. Call in Doctor Strange. You you can't fight this fight without him. Like that's all but confirmed his appearance for me. I don't I don't foresee how they could possibly win this fight without Strange. Um especially since Wanda's already on the back foot. Um and so yeah, I mean this kind of Agnes kind of explains quite a bit. I mean, she's the one that summoned Pietro. She she was the one behind like all the little little things that didn't quite add up. It was it was Agnes. Um and that's kind of what the show has been waiting for is the 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 catch all uh person behind every weird idiosyncrasy that the show experienced. So woohoo. Um the other theory I saw and I fucking love is uh in the comic books apparently Ultron at one point disguised himself as a human as a government agent uh to try and declare victory against somebody i didn't read too much into it but people are are theorizing that hayward is ultron um and that would explain uh his his ferocity to get back in there uh to bring wanda down because like wanda fucking betrayed him and all that stuff like it fits it really fits um it fits the bill and i love this idea because ultron was always one of those villains where it's like you know you can't really take him out in his first movie he's he's iconic he's been around forever and it's so easy to explain his continued existence too he spirited away in wi-fi or a cell phone signal or something like that you know what i mean so i wouldn't be surprised if um oh jesus um, I wouldn't be surprised if the the show ends with like Hayward peeling his fucking skin off and revealing his his robotic core within. Um, I guess we'll see. And I'm, I mean, with Monica turning into Photon, they've all but confirmed that like everybody in Westview is going to come become a mutant. Um, which is an interesting way to backdoor it in, but I feel like it kind of misses the point of mutants. Mutants was was the goddamn like metaphor for race relations in America, um, and that's what it always was. That's how it started, and that's how it continued. Like all those movies, it was all about it was all about race. It was about treating people that are different from you as like second class citizens. It was about all of that stuff. I don't see how that really holds up now when all of the mutants in the world. Uh, emanate from from Westview because up until this point in the Marvel Cinematic Universe we have not been exposed to mutants because they did not have the rights to mutants so it'll be like they they kind of have to you know what I mean because then on the flip side where the fuck was Xavier when Thanos invaded you know what I mean like where were where were the mutants then where was Magneto Magneto's supposedly been around since World War II where the fuck was he so that's that's the that's the trouble they've got to answer now is where the fuck were the mutants? I would have thought they backdoored in the mutants once Strange hit the multiverse and they just existed on another planet. And that's how they bring them in. Um, but no, 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 no. You know, you've turned Monica into into Photon. So 
I'm going to need some goddamn answers for this. Um, show's still showing that it has an incredible budget, and I'm loving it. So episode 7 was pretty solid. I liked it better than last week's episode, because this time we actually got, like, some legitimate concrete answers, which a show like this is desperately needs. Let's move on to the next week's podcast. This past weekend was BlizzConline. Blizz, Blizz, BlizzConline. I don't know why they've decided to mash it the way they did. It was BlizzCon Online uh, is what this past weekend was. And there was quite a bit of news that was dropped out of BlizzCon. Not that I'm very surprised by that. And I wanted to talk about some of the some of the more interesting pieces that caught my attention. I'll just blitz past some of the other ones. Um, so there's going to be like an arcade collection where uh, you can play like Lost Vikings and stuff. On PC and mobile, don't really care about that. Uh, WoW Classic Burning Crusades is a thing that's going to happen sometime this year. And if you're a WoW Classic fan, then you're going to be very excited about that. I know whenever I talk to um, WoW nerds who have been playing since the game came out, Burning Crusades was kind of like the, the titular turning point of the whole fucking game. And it added new races and a new zone. And I think the ability to fly came in Burning Crusades. So it was a big deal. A lot of really cool shit came out of Burning Crusades, so a lot of people are very excited about that. They're updating uh, Shadowlands with the next like round of story called Chains of Domination. That all seems interesting. Uh, Overwatch Two was was a big focus on um, on this BlizzCon online, and they let us know more about like the skill trees for the characters and the story missions and all of that fun stuff, and it all looks incredible. Um, I can't help but look at Overwatch 2 and think that it's going to kill Overwatch because if it's going to be like the new meta when it comes to when it comes to competitive and you're going to be able to have like these upgraded fucking characters and stuff like that it just it seems pretty fantastic um, on on paper and I'm very excited about that um, we didn't get a release date for that like at all no idea when that's coming out could be this year i think they're hoping that it's this year but it's probably going to be next year um so there's that and then the big news for me this this time around was diablo diablo 4 still in the works they introduced a brand new character class called the rogue which was actually introduced in the very first diablo game it was one of three character classes in the first diablo game warrior rogue and sorcerer um and now two of those original characters and i suppose the warrior kind of became the barbarian but that's whatever um, so now Diablo 4 has four character classes. It's got the Barbarian, it's got the Rogue, it's got the Sorcerer, and it's got the Druid from Diablo 2. So we've got we've got those four. And the game looks phenomenal, and I'm so excited for it. But they need to release that game before the next one, because if they don't drop Diablo 4 before the other Diablo game they talked about, I'm not going to give two tin shits about Diablo 4. Because what they are doing is a full remaster of my all-time favorite game, Diablo 2, with the expansion Lord of Destruction. I've been playing that game on and off since it came out 20-something years ago. I was six when that game first came out, and I fucking love that game. It's only like eight hours long, really, but just the, 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 the looting and the randomized dungeons and the different classes you can play. There were seven classes in that game, um, and they're remastering it for PC and console, including the motherfucking Switch with cross-progression, which means if I play on the PC, I can carry that character over to my Switch game and level them up there and bring them back to PC and switch them back and forth whenever the fuck I want. 
and that is incredible. As long as it's got like multiplayer on console with your friends, I mean, that's fucking game of the year. Diablo 2 changed the whole fucking landscape of fucking, um, of fucking. I'm sorry, all the, all the swearing. I'm just so excited. It changed the landscape of video games, especially those types of isometric dungeon crawling video games. It was the first and best of its kind, and I still consider it to be the best when it comes to that. Diablo 2 is one of my all-time favorites, and I am so, so excited to get my hands on Diablo 2 because holy shizzle biscuits. Um, I'm just, I'm just pumped. Diablo 2 Resurrected was its official title. And that got announced yesterday, and I had this awesome fucking trailer where it shows you what the new graphics look like, and it looks in fucking credible. So yes, I'm incredibly happy with BlizzCon um, out of this uh, out of this fucking BlizzCon Online Blizzard. I know a lot of people, a lot of people, including a lot of people I'm very close friends with, have a lot of big issues when it comes to Blizzard, and. Yeah, I know there's a lot of controversy around them and stuff like that. But at the same time, I fucking love their games. I've never had, like, even with, like, WoW, when it was supposedly, like, a bad expansion, I still had fun in it, you know? And at the end of the day, that's all I really care about, is that I had fun in these games. And there's new stuff coming to WoW. I'm actually going to resubscribe to WoW uh, today, which I'm sure is what they wanted. Um, I'm going to re-download Hearthstone. A lot of cool stuff about Hearthstone. They're coming out with Hearthstone Classic, because of course they're. Um, but it just, it looked really fun. And um, I want to I wanna get my feet wet back in that. And I'm not going to do anything with Diablo 3, because I'm just waiting for the game before it to come out, and the game after it to come out. And I'm just going to lose myself in Diablo. Um, Overwatch 2 looks absolutely fucking fantastic. I can't wait. I'm, I'm a Blizzard fan through and through. Uh, to the point where I'm looking at that, like, 30th anniversary Blizzard collection where it comes with, like, all the goddamn, um... Uh, oh, Diablo 2 Resurrected uh, is going to be $40 on PC. That is not bad at all. I was expecting that to be a lot more expensive. Um, what the fuck? Hold on. So there's Diablo 2 Resurrected, and then there's the Diablo Prime Evil Collection. So there's Diablo 3 Eternal Collection. What is this? What is the Diablo 3 Eternal Collection? I already have Diablo 3. Eternal Collection. What is that? What does that even mean? I don't even know. Um, but yeah, it's going to be $40 on PC. That's about exactly how much it should be, in my opinion. Um, because even though the game is 20 years old and they're going to remaster it, it is only like an 8-hour game. Um, so yeah, I'm fucking, I'm fucking stoked for that. Now, if you could buy it on one console and play it on any console, that would be fucking game-changing. I would... I would goddamn lose my mind if they did that, but they're not going to do that. They want their money. Um, and you know what? I can fully appreciate that. I can fully appreciate that. Um, I'm looking at the Celebration Collection right now. It's a BlizzCon bundle for the, the $20, the $60, and the $40 pack. You get the Blizzard Arcade Collection, which we just talked about. Coupon for $15 off um, purchase gear at the Blizzard Gear Store, which is fun. 10 Madness at the Dark Moon Fair card, hard packs, and Hearthstone. Um, a rogue mount uh, with the Tracer here on Heroes of the Storm. Five loot boxes on Overwatch. 30th anniversary player icon spray on Overwatch. Um, some StarCraft remastered portraits. A pet in Diablo 3. A portrait in Diablo 3. And then the moon-touched Netherwhelp pet in World of Warcraft is what you get in the Essentials Pack. Uh, you can get the Snowstorm mount in World of Warcraft for the next step up. Wings in Diablo 3. 
um, a Rain Heart Legendary Skin for Overwatch, and a Random Madness at the Dark Moon Fair Legendary card in Hearthstone. And then the Epic Pack gives you 30 days game time or World of Warcraft. Ooh, fuck. Five Gold Madness Dark Moon Fair card packs, um, three Golden Loot Boxes in Overwatch, and a Transmog set to Diablo 3. So, for an extra $20, that's not really much of a deal, you get 30 days on, on WoW. Um, you would, uh, technically, since I would only really care about the, I, I do like the mount. It's a big schmoofy polar bear with spikes coming out of its butt. I kind of want that mount. Um, and I'm tired of losing out on the BlizzCon mounts because you see them later and you're like, how do you get that? And it's like, you can't get it anymore. And I'm like, fuck! So, yeah, I'll, pr I'll probably get the heroic pack and just buy WoW on, on the side because I'll save $5. And that's all I really care about. Um, yes, BlizzCon Online, absolutely, 100%. I was thrilled with what they came out with. I'm so excited to see these games. I hope we get some Diablo game this year. I don't care which one it is. If it's gonna be two, if it's gonna be four, I don't care. It needs to be one of them. And I want it, I want it this year. So, there we go. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. It's that time of the month again. It's time for me to eat random snacks from a random country in the world. This box is pink because it's February and Valentine's Day, and of course it's pink. So let us take a look. Also, without opening the box, I haven't opened the box yet, I'm going to say it's probably France because it's Valentine's month and all that shit. It's probably France. You ready for it to be France? It's the Ukraine. Okay, I was wrong. It's not France, guys. It's not France. It's the Ukraine. Um, I don't know anything about the Ukraine. Besides that, it's gone through some turmoil. What the fuck? Okay. There's some weird looking things in here. Um, I was right that it is Valentine's Day theme though, because there's a big Valentine's Day sticker in there. We ignore the paper as always, because I want to. Oh god, I want to. I want to get into this. Homemade bread chips with garlic rye wheat bread chips. Fuck yeah. Uh, store at room temperature, away from direct sunlight. Okay. Apparently these are good before August 24th of this year, um, which means they're good for a long time. Bread chips. All right, come on. Let me, let me into these delicious bread chips. It's in like a brown paper bag, which is different. Uh, Alright, they look like, um, well, you know what? This might come as a bit of a surprise, but they look like bread chips. Let's just, let's just rip open a little, a little sliver. They don't smell like much. They look uh, like, like thin want, uh, not wontons, uh, croutons. Mmm. Mmm. Oh, yeah. Garlic and bread. What more do you want? Fuck yeah. Those are great. I'm just gonna... Just gonna munch on those forever. And try to put them back in the bag. Eh. Nice. I love it. I love it. Those are great. Alright. Oh, there's the yum bag next. Let's take a look at that. What terrible pieces of candy do you have for me this time? Because I don't, I don't like candy. Yep, it's nothing but candy. It's three pieces, four pieces of candy. Um, something called Crazy Bees. It feels squishy. Uh, I'm gonna guess it's like honey flavored. And then there's a grape one. Oh, it says filled toffee. Okay. But it's filled toffee with fucking oh not grapes. Sorry, these are blueberries. Fascinating. I do like toffee. Fuck. All right. Well. Maybe I'll try one of those at the end, um, because candy kind of ruins the whole thing. All right, what's this? Big Bars Polis Chocolatey 
chocolatey chocolatey coated wafer bar with caramel. So it's a fucking um, Butterfinger. So it's a it's a big chocolate bar with wafer and caramel. There's really only one in here, so it smells like chocolate. Let's just let's take a bite. Hmm. 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 It's okay. It's like if you coated a stroop waffle in chocolate. Chocolate's not bad. Yeah, you know what? That's not bad. I'm probably gonna have to actually finish that though, because you know, chocolate and candy. What the fuck is this? Um. Okay. Is there a golden key mini cake with condensed milk cream? It's a it's a cake. It's very soft and squishy. Um. The entire label is in. I presume Russian. Um. I'm not fluent in any language besides English, and that one is also up for debate. This is just a just a slice of cake. It's just cake. It's spongy. It smells like cake. Actually, it smells like bread. If I'm being honest with you, it smells like bread. All right, well, let's take a bite out of this air quotes cake. Mmm. Mm-hmm. That's delicious. It doesn't taste like much of anything, but it does taste good. Let's see if I can get try the cake on its own. Hmm. Yeah, it tastes like bread. It has a very bready consistency to it. But the cream is good. Um, it's like a fancy hostess cake. That uh, would be a good way to describe it. That's not bad. I like that. So far, all winners. I'm enjoying this. Okay. Golden chip potato. The wasabi-flavored potato sticks? Is that what this is? Almost 30 years in stores. Okay. Wasabi-flavored potato sticks is what this is. Arrgh. Let's give these a try. I do like wasabi. Um, are these going to be like Pocky or what? Let's find out. I don't smell anything. Oh, they're like... It's like really long potato chips. Like a, like, like a ruler-shaped potato chip. But of course, they've all been smashed to pieces, so let's, let's try one. Um... I don't taste much of anything. Just tastes like a potato chip. Hmm. It's nice and salty. Oh, there's some wasabi dust. Oh. There we go. Oh, damn. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's delicious. Oh, when you find one with wasabi on it. Oh. It definitely tastes like wasabi. Um, But it doesn't have like that unnecessary amount of heat to it. Oh. Mmm. Oh, what a fun snack that is. Because it just burns on your tongue. It doesn't go into your sinuses, so you get that wonderful burn, and oh, that's it. Then it's just gone. Excellent. The last thing. Roshen milk chocolate bar with creme brulee filling. So that's... Wow, all right. 
Everything in this bag was a winner. Holy shit. Ukraine knows how to snack it up. They know my snack flavor. They know what I'm into. Let's try this chocolate bar. Um, it feels like it's in uh, segments. So I'll just break off a little square. And uh, see where we're at. I'm going to eat all of this shit today. Alright. Creme brulee filling, huh? That's just burnt cream. I don't know. Alright, whatever. Home. Mmm. Mmm. -hmm. Excellent chocolate. It's milk chocolate, which is my favorite, but it's good. And the filling is um sweet and caramelly and delicious. Hot fucking jam. A box of winners. They were all good. The the garlic bread chips, the wasabi potato chips, the chocolate caramel thing, the cake, and the milk chocolate bar with the creme brulee filling. Best box so far. The Ukraine fucking killed it. Who would have thought it? I have never thought of the Ukraine as a good snack country, but the Ukraine is a good snack country. Oh, man. <clears throat> well, I'll munch on the rest of those here in a little bit. I just want to see if the paperwork can tell us anything about the the candies. Um, uh, let's see. Juice-filled uh, fruit. So there's a fruit juice-filled caramel toffee, which is the one that has um, the, the blueberry flavor. And then it's a juice-filled fruit jelly, which is could be pink grapefruit, juicy cranberry, and more. Oh, sorry, the caramel toffees could be apricot, strawberry, blueberry, and orange. I have two blueberries, so. Yeah, that's what those are. I'm probably not going to like those, so I'm not going to try them, because I'm not a big candy person, unless it's chocolate, in which case I'm all over that. That was awesome. That was, that was an excellent box. That's the best box so far. And I think that'll do it this week for the Going Up cast. I hope you all enjoyed this week's episode, especially with me ending it by eating some snacks. Um, if you didn't see the Blizzard stuff, you can see videos all over the internet. I would highly recommend it, especially if you're a Blizzard fan, because holy fuck, I'm going to basically take a shower here in a second and um, switch over to watch uh, the Critical Role one-shot that um, they're going to do about Diablo, and I'm very, very excited about that. So, hell yes. Thank you all very much for listening to this week. I will see you all next week for another brand new episode. Have a good one, everyone.